Today, we're talking with attorney Scott Reeb about the keys to shatterproofing your business. You definitely don't want to miss this one. So don't you change that dial or drop that phone. We're about to level it up and shatter the mold. Question. In a world where groupthink is the norm, others want what you've earned, and thinking for yourself will get a target painted on your back, how do you flip the script and level up your business, your money, relationships, your health, your status, and your life? That is the question, and this podcast will give you the answers. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold. Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of Shattered the Mold. Andrew S. Kaplan, really excited to be here with you today. We've got an awesome, awesome show. And this interview today, it's going to take us down roads we haven't gone before, and I'm really excited to get there. But before we go down that road, just to let you know, this interview is brought to you by my book, The Last Law of Attraction book you'll ever need to read. And yes, for anyone joining me for the first time here, I know that's a pretty bold title. But if you don't believe me, hop on over to Amazon, read through the over 1,600 five-star rave reviews by excited readers who after all the books and all the programs and all the other nonsense finally found a book that explains the law of attraction like you've never heard it before. Not only have I included fun, user-friendly methods, but I've got content here that's going to hold a mirror up to you, the reader, and explain what's happening in your head whenever you're trying to work on yourself, and why when you get excited about new content, and why you start to use what you learn, and even begin to get results, why you still quit. This book will show you what happens in your mind, what's going on in the background there, so that once and for all, you can finally invite and manifest the things that you want the most. So check it out on Amazon by going to lastlawofattractionbook.com. That'll auto-forward to the Amazon listing where you can get it on Kindle or paperback or audiobook. But if for any reason you don't want to pull out your wallet but you still want to see what this content is all about, I've also got my YouTube channel. That's youtube.com slash Cap. That's where I feature Law of Attraction expert interviews where I teach new methods, I answer important questions, and I've got a few other surprises there as well. But with that said, let's get straight to today's interview. I'm going to switch up mics and we're going to begin in our chat with Scott. Okay, today we've got a really, uh, really interesting guest. Scott Reeb is known as America's legal coach. He's the official Zig Ziglar small business lawyer, a Ziglar legacy certified trainer, and he's got over 20 years of experience as an attorney. For the last two decades, Scott has been helping business owners, entrepreneurs, coaches, and service providers shatterproof their businesses so that they can succeed on an even higher level. He's a firm believer that seeking legal advice doesn't have to be intimidating or expensive if only we treat lawyers like primary care physicians rather than ER doctors. We'll talk about that part. And through a subscription-based access plan legal service, Scott continues to make great strides in shifting that perspective toward that direction. And again, I'm sure we got a really like a lot of fun, interesting things that we're going to go down, a lot of good roads. With that in mind, Scott Reeb, thank you so much for being here, my friend, and welcome to Shatter the Mold. Andrew, thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Awesome. Well, I, I know we've got a, a million directions to go in here, and believe it or not, we've, we'll probably end up going like in reverse order uh, as opposed to what you're used to covering with uh, with podcast hosts, because I was doing a little bit of research on you and, you know, just seeing what you're all about. And the first thing I really wanted to kind of like bring to the forefront so that, you know, the audience had the best context, in my opinion, possible is asking you why you feel like where's what's the real mindset and the real um, paradigm and where you say you want to treat lawyers like primary care providers rather than ER doctors. Yeah, I had that. I made that paradigm shift myself about eight years ago. I, I was I was doing business litigation and was good at it. Uh, but my clients would come in with a huge problem. You know, their, their proverbial house is on fire. 
and it would cost so much money to put it out. And then when I analyzed it, they really could have avoided most of those fires had they consulted with a lawyer, any lawyer, pick a lawyer, um, before they entered that business transaction, had they had that contract reviewed, had they just taken a few minutes to step back before they did it uh, and avoided the $80,000 in litigation fees, uh, both sides would have avoided it. Uh, but they don't. They weren't doing that. People would would rather flip a coin, uh, use Google or whatever their favorite search engine is, or dial a friend rather than call a lawyer. And it wasn't their fault. It was because the system was broken. We the lawyer traditionally charged by the hour or by every ten minutes. And so every time you call a lawyer, they would feel like money was flying out of their pockets. So they avoided it. And so I had to figure. I had to figure out a way to eliminate that barrier, change that paradigm. And that's where we created what you talked about earlier, the access plan. So now there's no barrier between me and my clients. I'm on the same page. I don't make more money the more time I spend with them. Um, but I'm, we're in a relationship. I'm on their team and I'm here to solve their problems. And so they now they bring their problems to me. My clients like to talk to us here at Reblaw and it just, it, it changed the game. It's the same way with my healthcare. I have a nurse practitioner that I work with, uh, Courtney Garner, give her a shout out. Um, and I bring her everything that's going on with me, and then she helps me with the right medicines, su supplements, possibly exercises or stretches or whatever I need to be doing to be healthier. But before I did that, I just kind of waited until I got sick, and I went to the doctor, and then they gave me a big bill. And so it just made sense that that, that would apply in the business world as well. And it has, uh, for eight years, we've been helping lots and lots of business owners um, change that paradigm and change their businesses. Now, would you correct me if I'm wrong on any of this, but like what I hear you saying there is you basically sorted out a way for people to have a lawyer on retainer in a more affordable, convenient and accessible way. Is that a fair way to put it? it that's exactly right. I should pay you to go around talking about that. That's exactly <laughs> what, what we've done because I mean, Fortune 500 companies, they have lawyers all over the place and small business has the same types of problems. They're smaller but they still come up as often that without the, without the access, they, they didn't have the ability to make what I would call the best possible decision. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to have the right information at the right time to make the best possible decision. And they were shut out of that because they didn't, they didn't have $5,000 a month to pay a lawyer or uh, $5,000 to retain a lawyer and bill by the hour at $500 an hour. And so we fixed that with the access. Right. Now, I want to again make another assumption here, and please correct me if I'm wrong based on what you see, but I imagine that finances are only one of the reasons that people are resistant. I am going this mindset because I think whenever people will enter into a partnership or an agreement with somebody else, whether they know them like very closely or that they're an acquaintance, I think there are other challenges that come up where people are like, they're worried about offending the other party. They're worried about, <clears throat> excuse me, blowing the deal because now they're throwing the lawyers into it. I mean, are, are those also the kinds of challenges that, or the reasons that you think people will be resistant to bringing on any kind of attorney on any kind of level? Yeah, I think that's a very good point. I think there's a lot of lawyers that are known as deal killers. Uh, they'll, you'll bring them a deal and they'll paper it in a way that no one in their right mind would sign it. Uh, so, yes, that's a very uh, real point, and that, that's why you have to be very selective when you bring a small business lawyer onto your team, that they understand the entrepreneurial journey, that, they're, that they, too, are in that journey, uh, and that they want to help you do business, not stop, your, stop business. Some lawyers are so scared of their own shadow that they create these, these horrible agreements 
the, the really no one in their right mind would sign. Instead, what they should be doing is creating documentation that is clear and fair and that, that documents the major details of a deal so that the participants could come back to that document later and say, this is what we agreed to uh, so that we can reflect our, you know, refresh our memory rather than call each other liars. And that's why you need it. And it keeps honest people honest, but you're exactly right. There is a resistance to it because they don't want to offend people. Uh, they want, the, the, it seems like, oh, I'm, you must not trust me. If you're asking me to sign a contract. Mm -hmm. it's, mm -hmm. it's the opposite of, it's the opposite of that because I trust you and know you're a man of a person of integrity. We're going to do this in writing so that we can both look back and make sure we stay on the same page. Yeah, it's because I view this as a good long-term situation where I always want everything to be accounted for. I'm doing this courtesy. That That's, to me, a better paradigm. You also mentioned um, documenting, by the way. And again, on my research on you, one thing you talk about is the art of documenting the deal, about keeping people honest, specifically. I figure, let me turn it over to you to kind of expound on what you mean by that and what really is the art of documenting when you say that. Yeah, like, you, like you, you've mentioned, people are kind of scared for multiple reasons of doing contracts, doing agreements. One is the money, two is they don't want to offend people. Another is maybe they don't feel like they can do it. They don't have the ability. They haven't got the training. And some of that is true. Mm -hmm. But there's a way that you can document your deals in an email, for instance, where this is a longer conversation, but you, you have a meeting on the phone with someone and discuss the, the deal you want to have. If you and I are putting together a consulting deal, then we would talk about the points that the points of things that you could do for my law firm uh, to help us grow. And so we would put those five points down. I'd be writing during our conversation. Then we would talk about how much you would charge and we'd write that down. And then when would the payments be due? And we would write that down. Um, and then we would write down, we would talk about, well, if, if there's gonna be any kind of dispute, we want that to go to mediation. So we write that down. And then I type all that up and send it to you in an email and say, okay, here's what I took Andrew from our meeting. Here's the bullet points. If you're in agreement with this reply, I agree. Now I have a very simple written agreement with electronic signatures of what my deal is. Is that perfect? No. The better thing to, to do at that point would then be take that to your business lawyer that you have uh, on a, in a relationship with you and have them then put it into a contract form that you've now done the heavy lifting for them. So even if you're paying them by the hour project, it should be less expensive. Uh, but even if you don't do that, you have an enforceable agreement, you have something you can go back to and tag and say, okay, that's what we said. That's when the payment was due. Thank you for reminding me. We can look at it. Mm -hmm. And it's really that simple, uh, but you have to take the time to take good notes and then get clarity back and forth until you get to the right list of these are the deal points. A lot of times we'll use that as what we call a letter of intent in a bigger business transaction. There's no reason you can't do that. Uh, as just an, as, a, as an everyday entrepreneur in a sales call, just document that deal with an email, make sure that they clearly say, I agree, not I agree, but if there's a but in there, then we got to do a little more work. But when you can get to a clear, I agree, that's a, that's a digital signature. It's just as enforceable if they'd signed it with blue ink uh, on a legal pad. So yeah. that's the, that's the easy way to kind of document a deal. And that's a shortened version of that presentation, but that's, that, that's yeah. what you should be doing. So, you know, me not being an attorney, just listening, the one thing that stands out to me is you didn't have them agree by omission. You didn't have to, you didn't have them send an email like, hey, if I don't hear back, I'm just assuming this is done. It's like, no, you're giving them the terms and they will constructively in the affirmative say, yes, I'm with it. And to me, I think there's a certain brilliance in terms of 
greasing the wheels or, or making it a, a bit of a smoother thing, because then when you're putting a contract in front of them, it's not as if you came up with these terms and you're shoving in their face and forcing them. It's things that they want already that they, it's like they put it out there. You're just giving it to them now on a piece of paper that they've already agreed to. So me hearing this, there's almost like a, a compliance ladder to this of more yeses getting to something where it's a little, it's, it's a little more in stone, but it isn't in a way where a person felt like they were bullied into it or they were pushed into it or they were ever outside of the decision-making process. Is, is that a fair way to put it based on your experience? That's very fair. And most of us, that those are going to be very repetitive points. We're going to be having very similar conversations every day with, with different clients. So that should get easier and easier for you to find the 10 or 15 deal points that you have to have nailed down in order to do business with someone. So that you should be able to have kind of a conversation starter that maybe it's a written form, maybe it's a document you're typing into where you know exactly what you're going to ask them each sales call. And then it's really easy to send that email. And the more you create a system for that, the easier it will be. And the more likely you are to actually use it. So mm. create a system for it. Again, I would encourage you to get a business lawyer with you on that project, uh, help them create the terms that you would use on a daily basis, and then actually come up with a template and possibly you could port, push those into after they've said, yeah, those are the right deal points. Uh, so you have a full-blown uh, legal document, but but if you can't get there, it's okay because sometimes you just can't. I mean, there's there are lots of cases of deals done on napkins. So if you can do this in an email and make it really clear, you're going to be much better off than you were with not doing one. So do that, and then uh, you know as you as you move forward in your journey, you'll get more sophisticated. Uh, maybe you'll get to the point where you have prepared. Uh, agreements. But even then, I think, Andrew, you made a great point. Why not go ahead and send an email uh, or even a text message that says, here's the deal points that I took from our conversation. Or, you know, do you agree? And they say yes. And then it's like, okay, now I'm going to send you the documentation. Mm -hmm. I love it. Like you said, just it. one more yes. I think that's a great process to build into your, to your sales system. Yeah. And, you know, it's so funny because it, it makes sense in, in legality terms, or lack of a better word, it makes sense in business, it makes sense in relationships, it makes sense in life. Um, now, I think, as I understand it, you had, um, I just, I want to hear the story and see kind of like where, what the details were, where I imagine like a certain client avoided paying, I think what, like a $20,000 uh, legal bill or something like that, thanks to having this arrangement with, uh, with access plan where they had this kind of um, access to you. Uh, what exactly happened where the person, like, what did they do and how did they get at that $20,000 bill? Yeah, it was about four years ago. It was Sean Garner with Entrefit. He, um, he had just come on board with Access. I, and, and that was a long, long sales deal. I know about three years to convince him to come on. He came on and a contract came in and literally he had his, he had his pen in his hand, sign, getting ready to sign that agreement. And then he went, wait. That told me I'm never supposed to sign another document that his team hasn't seen. So we sent it over to to the team, and we what we do we we get it in and we mark it up and send it back, and we're saying here's the areas that you should be concerned with, or you know do not sign this. There's no way this is a bad deal. And this one wasn't it was you could sign it, but there was a part of the contract uh, that if he had signed it, it would have cost him twenty thousand dollars in money out of his pocket. He would have it would have cost him twenty grand. And he hadn't read it. He hadn't even seen that. Mm -hmm. And so all he did was call them back and say, hey, I don't want that paragraph in there. They said, fine, took it out. And then he did the deal with them. Uh, and it saved him $20,000. Uh, 
And so Sean has never signed another agreement uh, any, with anyone without me, me or my team seeing it. It's, it can be that important. Not always, sometimes it's not, but it can be. And so why not uh, have someone review stuff before you sign if it can be, uh, if it can be affordable? The ROI on it is huge. Um, and and the, there's sometimes you're making mistakes and just don't even know what they're costing you now because it won't show up for a few years. Um, and it's not that you're never going to make a mistake ever just because you have a lawyer, um, but you're going to make, you're going to make smaller mistakes. You're going to make smarter mistakes. And then if you have a relationship with somebody that can help you minimize that mistake when it pops up. Mm-hmm. And so that's back to that first question you said about the primary care, the faster someone can jump on a legal problem, the smaller the problem. Yeah. You know, like a lot of stuff that I've kind of gone through my show, just in terms of, you know, healthy habits, dealing with, with your energy productivity, I think it all kind of links together. This, to me, this area of, of what you do, this is another important piece because if you're treating something like an ER doctor, that, that means all hell is breaking loose. That means all of a sudden you're under stress and you can't really cope with whatever might be going on. That mean you might, that means you might have your finances locked up that you need them to pay for employees or to pay on another contract or who knows what. So I, I kind of keep what you see what you're saying. I would go so far as to say, like, there are many areas in addition to law where you want to treat things as a primary care provider. Like you, you want to, you, to whatever measure you can, you always want to be intelligent and strategic because you're right. Like we're all imperfect. We all make mistakes, but the fewer mistakes you can make the better and the smaller mistakes you can make the better. So it, it all adds up. Yeah. I mean, here's a book title for you, the proactive entrepreneur. As a business owner or, or entrepreneur, you should be spending time with your accountant uh, on a regular basis. There should be a relationship there and you should be proactive with what your, with your cash flow requirements, with your uh, tax planning, all of that stuff. So you need to be proactive. With your banker, you should be having regular conversations with your banker about, is my account serving me? Do I need a line of credit here? Um, am I paying too many fees here? If you're not proactive, then you're just wasting money. Be proactive with the insurance for your business. You need to have a relationship with an insurance broker that can make sure you have the right coverages because maybe you've started some new thing during COVID that they don't even know you're doing. Hmm. Well, maybe you're not covered or maybe there's some great coverage you could get for uh, a good price. You need to, if you don't have that relationship and you're not being proactive, you won't get it. And then you, everyone should have a business coach and they should be making regular appointments with that coach and spending time with them and getting that accountability and getting that bird's eye perspective of their business so you can move forward. Without those things, it's very hard to be super successful. Can you find some success? Sure. But if you want to be a high performer, you've got to be proactive in at least those areas. And then you'd mentioned health too, uh, which obviously should be there, health and fitness. Um, And then even if you take it one step, even to the mental health that we should be spending time doing mindset work. So, yeah, I mean, the, pro, the more proactive you are as an entrepreneur with those type of things, the happier you're going to be uh, and uh, the, higher, the higher levels of success, the more you can level up that business. Yeah. And, you know, I realize as we speak about this, at least from my perspective, it's sometimes it's easier said than done. But to anyone that might be listening, you know, about all these areas that you want to be like looking over, to me, it shouldn't be this thing where you're spread out too thin and you could just barely do them. It should be a thing, in my opinion, where you're structuring your life and your business so that these are normal parts of the process. So that's just another area, not something that 
you have to reach in order to accomplish, but something where it just happened. So again, I mean, credit to you for putting something together where at least from the, the legal perspective, people have access to something where they can, you know, I don't want to say get a, get that, that tune up or that oil change, but they have access that they needed. Yeah. And you know, Zig Ziglar had uh, his wheel of life that you would go around the wheel and grade yourself once a month, once a quarter, once a year to check and make sure that you're in the right spot in those different areas that we just discussed. I think that's a good habit for um, for the listeners to get into is that, you know, just just do some checkups uh, and make sure that you are paying attention to these areas because you you kind of have drift. You'll get focused on one thing uh, and neglect other things. And so if you'll kind of regularly do a checkup, um, again, that's a good place to have it for your business coach. Uh, but just to make sure that you're not neglecting something unintentionally. Mm. Very good point. Very good point. Now, we're, we've been talking for a little bit here, and I'm not sure if we've covered any of this already, but I understand that one of the things you like to share and, and teach to people are five strategies for shatterproofing your business. So feel free to let me know if we've hit on any of them yet, but I figured uh, turn the floor over to you to, to share what those might be in, in hopes that it'll serve people listening right now. Yeah, one of them is we have talked about is document everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so your contracts, uh, your business, anything you're doing in your business, you need to have written, you know, written proposals, written agreements. Uh, you need to have written uh, minutes for your business. You need to have your business documented right. Document everything. Uh, but the the first uh, and the first strategy is assemble a team of key advisors so that you can be proactive. And those are the people we just talked about. So the next big strategy that they need to be implementing in their businesses is build it on the right foundation. And that's where we're talking about the enterprise structure. And we're, we're talking about corporations, limited liability companies, trusts. And you need to have your company built for your goals and dreams. Art Parker says every, the only reason you have a business is to achieve your life goal and dream. I believe that. And so if we're building dreams, then we need to make sure we're doing it in a protected way so that when we reach some modicum of success, take some assets home, uh, that we aren't, um, putting them unnecessarily at risk. There's obviously some risk in business and in everything, but if you build it right, then what you take home as, as the fruits of our labor should be protected from the liabilities of your business. But if you're running as a sole proprietor, for instance, then it's wide open. They can come take everything from you. They can take your business assets. They can take your personal assets if you mess up. So you can't run that way. And then sometimes even it's not good to have their assets inside your operating business because then they're exposed to the liabilities of your business. And so you need to be talking to uh, a creative business lawyer that can look at what you're doing and what you want to achieve and help you structure it in a way that can protect your assets in your business, your assets at home, uh, and do that in a tax efficient manner. The only way they can do that is if they work hand in hand with your CPA to make sure that it all works right. But you want to build it on that solid foundation. Hey, if you've been in business five years, 10 years and haven't done that, that's okay. Go back and fix it now. It may cost you a little more now than it would have at first, but that's okay. Hopefully you have more money, Uh, but go back now and fix it. It's just like we have to, I mean, in Texas and there's foundation uh, companies on on the radio every five minutes because our soil moves around a lot and people haven't haven't built their houses on solid foundations. And so they're having to jack them up with fear. It's that same process. Let's go back under your business, get the right foundation there. And then you're ready to start leveling up and scaling that business and know that it's as safe as it can be. And so that would be, um, the, it's actually the first, the second uh, strategy. The, the last two strategies deal with intellectual property. 
uh, right? So we're on your podcast, which is your intellectual property. And uh, I've noticed some copyright notices around different places and stuff that you do. That's important uh, because that's the way that you protect it. Um, a lot of people are unintentionally, hopefully, using other people's intellectual property. Um, you'll see them po reposting things uh, on social media. They'll take whole blog posts and just write and put them in their blog as if it's theirs. Um, I mean, imitation is the highest form of flattery, but it's also not legal. So mm. <laughs> you got to watch that. Um, my clients get letters every year uh, from copyright holders notifying them of an infringement. And there's no defense. One of the biggest things I see is people will hire a webmaster to create a web page for them uh, or a sales funnel, and they'll use images that they didn't buy. Uh, they And they weren't careful to make sure that they were um, common, common use images. Someone else owned that image, and suddenly you're on the hook for five, ten thousand dollars in damages because you've used their image without permission. It's not hard to solve that problem if you are proactive and make sure that you only use images that you own and control. Not that hard. Um, but if you if you mess up, it could be a big deal. Uh, you also have to be careful with your branding because you could pick a really cool name for a podcast and then find out that. When you get five years into it, that someone else had trademarked that name and was building it, and you just didn't know it. And now you've built your brand on someone else's. You're infringing. You have to back up and redo the whole thing. Mm. That's also a nightmare. Yeah. You know, so, yeah, go ahead. I was just say a quick funny story. My the, This podcast was going to be called Break the Mold. And a quick oh. Google search told me that someone, or at least more than one person, was already using that. That's when I'm like, all right, I'll just level it up. And that's that's what we want to, to shatter the mold. So it's funny that you yeah. mentioned that. That that was part of even my creation process and making sure I wasn't infringing. And it got me a better title, actually. So hopefully then people, when they are being this cognizant and they're being this proactive, they actually might end up backing up to a better idea if something's already been taken anyway. You bet. Yeah. So use your creativity and then have someone look and make sure that we can actually use what you want to use. And then the last strategy is protect your intellectual property. So when you come up with that, that great brand name, then have it trademarked. Uh, if it's your company name, great, trademark it. Um, if you've got online courses, register them with, them with the United States Copyright Office. If you don't register this intellectual property, it's much more difficult to actually stop someone from using it. Um, with copyright, until you've registered, you can't stop them, really. Uh, it's very difficult. Uh, there, is, there are some new ways coming up with some small claims stuff uh, in copyright law that's really cool. But registering it gives you the, the key to the courts and to get damages. So if they've made money with your course, for instance, then you can get that profits back and they have to pay your attorney's fees, which those are two huge things. And copyright's not expensive. Uh, so if you're creating a lot of content, look at registering that content, register the content of your website if you've got a lot of content on there. Uh, and then if you're writing books, make sure that you're copywriting those. Uh, if you're having them published by a publisher, they're gonna help you do that. But if we're self-publishing like a lot of us do, then make sure you're registering that copyright. Otherwise, someone can take your ideas and, and reuse them. And there are a lot of pirates out there. I've seen uh, I have a lot of our clients from the digital space, and I've seen some big big names that listeners would recognize who have had their courses pirated. And then you have to go, you have to go stop it. Um, and then you'll it's just uh, it's just then you're just chasing it around. If you don't have the if you don't have it registered, it can be very difficult. Hmm. So those are the kind of those are the five things. You know, establish it on a, a strong foundation, document everything, um, have a key board of advisor to be proactive with those, those issues uh, about your business, 
don't use anyone else's intellectual property and protect your intellectual property. If you'll do those five things, it'll go a long way to shatterproofing your business, which means that when the rocks of life hit that windshield of your car, they're not going to come through and hit you in the face. It'll mark the windshield where you can get with your legal team and, and address those things quickly. Yeah. And you know, this, this is just an opinion here and I could be wrong, but I, I think this stuff really weighs, it doesn't even weigh a lot when you've just started out and you've invested less than 10 grand. It's like when it's a six, seven figure, eight figure, nine figure business, that's where this stuff really comes down to. And it's really important that even if you didn't do the right things in the beginning, as you're growing, at some point you should identify like, listen, I'm about to hit seven figures and something might be missing here. Now there's a lot more on the line because back when it was a smaller business, I did not choose to buy that house with that mortgage or I did not invest in X, Y, Z, or I didn't take out that business loan or whatever it might be. There's so many different moving parts. So, I mean, thanks for, for answering that question and bring that to people's awareness. Cause I think it really is important for people to be cognizant that the more successful you are, in my opinion, the more due diligence you need, because you know, when you're nobody, you're not even, no one even cares about you. You're not a target. Whereas if they think, you know, that you've infringed and you're worth seven, eight figures, then they're like, okay, there's actually blood I can get from this stone. Let me, let me go after it or whatever it might be. Yeah, it definitely, there's definitely a heightened awareness when you get to that seven, eight figure range. Um, I will tell you that in certain types of businesses, there's a lot of risk of litigation, um, I mean, over 20 million lawsuits are filed in the U.S. every year. Um, and so, you know, in the, uh, let's say that in the construction and the remodeling area of business, there's a lot of litigation. Um, customers against the contractors, contractors against subcontractors. And so there are some of these things that if you'll do them sooner than later, it can make sure that you don't have your the personal assets that you may already have accumulated before you're, you started this business. Um, but you're definitely right that when you actually are having some success, uh, there's more to protect. Uh, and so don't freeze and just say, well, I should have done it back then. Back up and let's go fix those things. Get into, uh, get into a coaching program with a lawyer that can help you make these things happen and then keep it between the lines. It can be, uh, it can be a real life server. Mm, right. Now, um, you mentioned it before, like it kind of like snuck in there as you were describing things, but I heard you use the word or the term trust. And I don't want to open up a Pandora's box and I don't want to open up a conversation that, that gets really complicated and it'll go another four hours. But I am wondering if you could answer like, to what measure do trusts basically have the ability to protect assets or to protect a person or a business? Yeah, the rule of thumb in asset protection is that if you can control it or get access to it, it's... Oh, it's not protected. And so like the real, there's real popular for estate planning is, is called the revocable or living trust. Well, those have no asset protection to them because if it's your trust, you're the trustee of it, you're in charge and you're the beneficiary. So you have access to all of the assets in the trust. So there's no asset protection. If you form what we call an asset protection trust where uh, possibly someone else is the trustee uh, or maybe at least you have a co-trustee so you don't have full authority to take the assets or income out of it. And then there's rules to the trust that say, you know, you can take so much income out per year or you can get to so much principal per year. And that kind of trust starts having asset protection. I'm getting tongue tied. Um, Even more asset protection comes if someone creates a trust for you. Say, Say a grandparent decides that they want to create 
a trust for a grandchild that they know is going to be entrepreneurial. They hire a lawyer to create an asset protection trust, um, throw five grand in that trust, and then say, go have, you know, go have fun and make some money. As long as the entrepreneur that received that trust never puts their own money in that trust, it's not their money, um, and they didn't create it. And so those are very protected trusts. Um, and we have lots of clients that are using that, for, that format to build businesses, but you have to have someone to create it for you. By having that one more degree of separation, it gives you that asset protection that you need. Mm-hmm. But a lot of business owners are using trust as what I would call the top of their structure uh, to get achieve a high level of asset protection. And, this, and it sometimes depends on what your business is. A lot of people in real estate business that are using some trust to protect their business uh, assets. Um, but yeah, it's, a, it's becoming a popular tool. Uh, we're not just seeing corporations and LLCs anymore. Yeah. And um, I mean, does irrevocable trust kind of fall into all that also? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah. And so when you asset protection trust is irrevocable. So once you set that in motion, you can't stop it. So if you put your businesses, your business assets into that asset protection trust, which is irrevocable, you can't just unwind it at a whim. So you've lost some control. So then you start getting the asset protection capabilities. Um, it's, I mean, you know, there's probably less than three out of 10, 10 on businesses that are using that structure, but it's definitely something to look at, like you said, as you get more successful, um, or if you're a young entrepreneur and possibly have someone that could bless you with that kind of a trust to start your business. Cause if you had, if you had $5,000 in seed money to start some sort of an online business, that'd be a pretty good deal. And it'd be built in a way that people could never get to it and take it from you. Got it. Awesome. Yeah. I'm glad I asked. I think uh, good, good information to know. Um, so one other piece, and we kind of, we were already talking about this before and then we, you know, we went around in circles just because that's me. I was, I take us everywhere. But um, one thing I know you've spoken about on my research is signer's remorse. And I'm not sure if you mean in terms of the person that you're serving or the person that they're making the deal with, but I do have an understanding that I think you've got like eight questions that you should ask in order to eliminate that. Uh, I definitely want to make sure we got that into the interview because I'm, I'm very intrigued to hear what those are. Yeah. And, and we kind of covered the other side of that. If we're trying to create a contract from our, you know, it's our contract, we're asking someone else to sign it, putting those viewpoints together. It's the, it's the mirror image of that. So now someone else has given you a contract and you're like, Oh no, I don't, I don't read legal. I don't know legal mumbo jumbo. What do I do? Well, you, 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 you take a breath because you know more than you think you do. Um, you know what, you know what, you know, you can read numbers. So you know what dollars are, you know, what dates are. Um, so you, you've, that's a good place to start. And so you want to go through, and I won't do all eight, but you're basically going to go through this contract and mark up some key areas. So you want to know who are the parties to the contract and do, is that correct? Do they have the right names at the top of it? Now, if it has your name personally and you have an LLC, meh, that's bad. That's got to be changed. Got to be your LLC on the contract, not you personally. That would be the first thing you'd want to look at. Because if you signed it with your name there, you would have signer's remorse at some point because you're on the hook for it. The other thing you want to start doing is looking and go through and highlight every date that you can find in the contract. So the dates are, you know, when is it? when does this contract start? When does this contract end? When do I have to do certain things? When does the other party have to do certain things for me? You want to highlight all those dates and then you look back. Do all those dates work for me? Do they help me achieve my goal in this contract? If they don't, then they got to be changed, but you've now marked them. The next, another thing to look for would be dollar signs, right? So everything where there's a dollar sign in that contract, highlight that thing. 
and then go back and make sure that the dollars match your notes or your understanding of what this deal is supposed to be. And again, do these dollars achieve your goal for this contract? That would just be a few of the type of questions uh, that you would ask. Um, another one would be choice of, there's a thing called choice of law, which basically means what law will be applied to this contract? Well, I'm a Texan, I want Texas law to apply. Um, you uh, may want Georgia law to apply. You may want California law to apply if you're crazy. You may want New York law if you're a little less crazy, um, right? But you should be able to pick if you're signing a contract, you have, should have something to say about that. Um, and so if it's far away, that could be a problem for you. And so you'd want to think about that. Another thing that I always would tell people to look for is some sort of uh, a dispute clause that says, what happens if we don't agree? Do we just go right to court or do we mediate? Do we arbitrate? What are those steps? Um, I'd want to highlight those and make sure those are clear and that I'm good with how that works. If not, that's another point um, of discussion. I'd also want to have something in there that said that I get, you know, that the winner in a dispute gets their legal fees paid. That's an important mm. thing to look for. Um, and then what are the remedies? So um, you could, you know, if, if I default, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do with by the dates or by the dollars, what happens? You know, do I owe a whole bunch of money? Do I have to, what, what do I have to, what happens to me? And then if they don't perform, if they default, what happens to them? And so I'd look for that in the contract. That should be clear. If you get all those points clear, and I could have missed one or two, then that's uh, that's a contract that you shouldn't have signer's remorse over because you've been careful and thoughtful about it before you've signed it. But let's be honest, most people look at those things and go, okay. Yeah. I'm sure it's right. They wouldn't have put some of all this trouble to put this yeah, together. Yeah, and, and a lot of people they, they pay what um, Evan Pagan he's just, um he's no, he's a marker. Um, he used to talk about wanting attacks. Like you want something so bad that you sign the dotted line or you agree to something just because you want that deal or you want that status or you want whatever it is without even yep. thinking about like, well, should I hang back here and make sure everything's just right? So I always think uh, wanting attacks is uh, something really to watch out for. Now, and there's some deals that are take it or leave it. And you can, you'll, the longer you've been in business, you'll know which ones those are. And sometimes they'll take, they'll tell you. When I was buying my first uh, house in 1996, um, my wife was out of town. She hadn't moved to the new city yet where we were. It's my first law, first city where I practiced law. And I was going to close on that house. They sent me the documents the night before. I was so excited. And they had to review all these legal documents. I mean, everyone's excited about that, right? And so I reviewed all those documents. <laughs> And I marked him up and then I sent him back to that lawyer and I got a call the next morning and he said, um, if you want to, if you want to buy this house, you're going to sign those documents. We're not making those changes. So what do you mean? There's just problems with it. Just, we can, we can just talk about this. He's like, no, do you not know the golden rule? And I said, well, sure. I know the golden rule. Do unto others as you would do to yourself. No, not that one. He who has the gold makes the rules. <laughs> if your wife wants that house, she'll sign these papers. So I signed the papers. Um, and there's some times where it's just uh, they're not going to make changes. And then you can choose whether you want to take the emotional pain of not signing the deal uh, or sign the deal and live with the legal pain that you may have. Yeah. But most deals in small business uh, area, there's some room there. And a lot of times they're putting things in contracts just because they can. And if someone says something, they're, oh, okay, we'll take it out. Yep. They're not not trying. They're not like, it's not mean. They just... They know it's people are careful. Yeah, they're not careful. So if you're not careful, yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take advantage of that situation. So don't be that person. 
um, be proactive, take those steps, ask those easy questions when you review documents, uh, or send them in to me and my team and we'll review them for you. And then you can also avoid signing. There you go. And that's what, uh, you know, access plan is all about, right? Right. So, um, so we're winding down here. Um, but before we do, I probably have like two or three more questions or maybe one or two. I worked really hard to kind of share you with my audience. Cause I think that you have a lot of insight and a lot of wisdom here, but based on this interview and other interviews and just your expertise, is there something important that I missed that you think you want to convey to my audience? No, I think you've done a really, a really nice job of framing, um, the need for for business professionals and being proactive in those areas. And I think that's, that's my, uh, that's my mission. That's what I'm out here preaching is that you need to pay attention to your business. Don't be so um, focused on sales, for instance, that you, that you're just, you're leaving everything else behind. Focus on the legal, focus on the accounting, the insurance the systems, make sure you're working in your business and you're being proactive with those things. And the way we help our access clients be proactive is that we spend 30 minutes with them every month. Yeah, so they're spending 30 minutes with their legal team every month focused on their business. Um, believe me, that makes a huge difference in their understanding of what's going on with their business and then in, in my team's ability to help them. Because our goal during those check-in calls is what, what things can we work on during the next month to help them be better? And so we're trying to find legal documents we can help create, legal systems we can help them create, you know, what are some, maybe some holes in their, uh, in their wall around their castle that they haven't seen? Uh, we can spot those in those conversations. And so we're forcing those regular conversations. It makes a huge difference. So that would be one thing I want to say is if you have a lawyer in place, make sure that you're spending regular time with them. The more you talk to them and share with them about your life and your business, the more they can help you. Same with those other professionals. Um, that's, that's just that's so important. Be open. Uh, if you aren't comfortable with the person you're working with, find someone you're comfortable talking to. If you're not comfortable, they can't, they're not going to be able to give you the help that you really need. And you're doing them a disservice as well. Mm. Got it. Um, if people want to learn more about you and your team or just connect better, what's the best place for them to go to? You no, know, we've created a, a, a special page. It's a reblaw, R-E-I-B-L-A-W.com forward slash shatter hyphen the mold. Okay. And you'll put that on your show notes, I'm sure. Yep. But if you go there, I've got a 20 minute uh, laser legal coaching session for anyone that wants to click that link. Uh, it will be me, not my team, but me. And we'll spend 20 minutes focused on your business. And I promise to deliver some value to you there. And then you can download the book that we've been talking about, the five strategies to shatterproof your business. There'll be a link right there, free download. Um, so you just go to reblaw.com forward slash shatter the mold. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for that. And like you said, I'm going to make sure to put that in the show notes where this interview resides at shatter the mold podcast.com. And I'll put it in the YouTube video description as well. So whatever format people are watching or listening to this on, they'll be able to click that link very easily. And thank you for, for sharing that with my audience. Um, so last question for you. And I often ask this of my guests, um, if you can go back in time, maybe, you know, 10, 15, 20, 25 years, but however time you see fit and give a younger version of yourself, any piece of advice, what advice would you want to share with that younger version of Scott? Start sooner. Um, I didn't start my own firm until I'd already been practicing about 10 years. I would have started sooner. Um, I didn't think I had the funding, didn't, didn't have the confidence. 
I should have taken the risk and started sooner. Um, I would, I was, because I would love to be where I am right now and be 10 years younger. Mm. Um, uh, I'm 52. Uh, I still feel great, uh, but I don't feel the same as I felt when I was 42. Uh, so I would rather have that energy level and know what I know now. So start sooner. So if you've got an idea of what you think could be a business, then get with some people that can help you put, bring that to life and do it now. Don't wait to get everything lined up, all, all the stars aligned. Um, take a chance. Uh, the world of entrepreneurs is fun, it's exciting and very rewarding. There, um, there's not comfort in a job. That's a, there's a false paradigm that you have comfort in that paycheck. Um, there's not. Um, you can lose that job tomorrow. I hope you don't, uh, but you can. If you can build your own, um, in, if you can build your own income streams, those uh, those are much more dependable, um, and you have much more control. So I would encourage you do it sooner. Get out there and start your journey, and then uh, I know we're both here to help you along that journey. Uh, reach out, um, but start it sooner. Don't wait. Awesome. Well, Scott, thank you so much for what I call just a lot of wonderful wisdom. I, th I think I'm so glad that I had you on the show here. I haven't had the chance to really share, um, you know, legal insights um, or, you know, any kind of on that kind of level with my audience. So thanks so much for being here for sharing what you know and for encouraging people to, to take things at a much better level and position themselves better for their success. I really appreciate it. Well, thanks for having me on. I really enjoyed it. Thank you again, Scott. That was really, really important and insightful stuff. I, I really appreciate you coming on. Guys, you definitely want to check out Reblaw.com and see what he's got going on. Obviously, he understands the need for making sure you've got your business structured in a strategic and intelligent way so that you can protect yourself, your business, and anyone you care about who may be affected by that business. With that said, a quick also reminder, feel free to check out my book, The Last Law of Attraction Book You'll Ever Need to Read, by going to lastlawofattractionbook.com, or you can check out my YouTube channel by going to youtube.com slash Cap. With that said, thanks so much for listening. Thanks so much for being here, and stay tuned. We've got more awesome guests on the way shortly. I will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Shatter the Mold at www.shatterthemoldpodcast.com. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan. My name is Andrew S. Kaplan, and it's time to shatter the mold.